Hello everyone and welcome to the Wordwise podcast. I'm your host Jamie Frosty-Bulu, sat here in front of my computer screen once again having a Zoom conversation with producer Blake. How are you Blake? Hey up, yeah, it's getting to me now. I'm climbing the walls but we battle on, don't we? We battle on mate, it could always be worse, it could always be always worse. Always be worse. So, um, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm alright, been trying to keep busy doing different little projects, a few bits for you as always and Obviously, my, the talk over to me stuff, um, trying to get them out as often as possible. Um, yeah, what, 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 what have you been up to? What have you got for us this week then? Yeah, this week I've got for us a great interview actually with um, somebody I admire a lot um, from the music scene, um, a guy called Stephen Battelle, who used to be in a band called Lost Alone, used to be in a band called Intentions of an Asteroid, Stumble. Immortal and many others, as it, as he will uh, remind us during the interview. And yeah, it was it was it was really good to talk to him. I really enjoyed it actually because he's uh he's like me. Like when you ask him a question, he goes off. He goes off <laughs> on a tangent, and I love that. That's kind of what I like about what we're doing with this podcast. Where it's not no quick fire stuff. It's kind of like letting people really go deep and explore yeah explore the questions that we're asking them so yeah i'm looking forward to to bringing you that um i really wanted to bring someone different onto the show because you know i thought it would be good for people to hear how a musician who is deeply concerned with his lyrical content makes a living because it some of the stuff he's done is pretty damn amazing to be honest with you um really yeah you know so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing our people dig that vibe because it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, obviously, the the video diary, the, sorry, the audio diary is kind of dried up at the moment. I'm still pretty <laughs> much just working on my novel, working on the third poetry collection, working on the short film script, as as I said in the last episode. So none of that's changed. I've got a couple of commissions that I'm working on as well, which is which is nice. Um, so I look forward to to releasing them. They're probably going to come out during the lockdown anyway for the organisations that have commissioned them. Um, I've released a couple more videos as well. So if people want to check out my YouTube, there's a, there's stuff happening on there, new videos. Well, there were videos that recorded last year that I never got around to releasing. So obviously I kind of figured being as we're on downtime, it's a good time to get my arse in gear, so to speak. Um, so I suppose what we could go for next is uh, the Dead Poets Corner, because obviously that's something yeah. I'm pretty keen to keep going during these podcasts. So the poet that I've chosen to read a poem of today was the late, great Ken Smith. Uh, Ken Smith was a Yorkshireman, and he was also the writer in residence at Wormwood Scrubs Prison. And uh, obviously I have a deep interest in that kind of thing due to my own experiences and, to, and also as, as my own role as a writer in residence in, in a prison as well. You know, I've worked in a few prisons. I've worked in HMP Foston Hall for sort of the last three years holding my own writing groups. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested in, in what that entails and, and the kind of writing that comes out of that. So this particular poem is one poem that was written during his time as a writer in residence at Wormwood Scrubs Prison. So uh, yeah, I'll get straight into it. It's called Positive Identification 
and it goes like this. Their eyes, they were grey-blue. They were black nothing. One had a scar, a burn, a birthmark. One an earring, one a tattoo. Dotted across, through, over his neck, and the legend cut here. That makes two. Were there two? Was it three? One with the headbutt, one with the fists and the finger rings, one with a fancy blade. One a white male, one a girl, one something quick I didn't see. One a bully, one a sissy, and one who was an absolute bastard. One with a knife, one a razor, one with a baseball bat. One that kept the other one screaming and screaming at the same time, someone, someone else laughing out loud. I found pain, pain, however, when, wherever, it comes hurts. They all yelled the same kind of words, you know them. The same mad anger, the same eyes, the same dead smile, the same fury at someone long ago dead yesterday's perhaps. One was white, one black, one some other shade of human. I recall as I fell for the last umpteenth maybe time, my fort here in this great multi-ethnic society. You can be beaten and robbed. You can die by all sorts, for all sorts of reasons, for none, by all sorts of exotics. I think that's my favourite dead poet so far, that one. Yeah, Ken Smith was a, was a man. Um, and and that, that whole poem is about, really, the idea of somebody trying to identify their attackers, which... which, okay. which I think if you listen back to it, it really comes across because of the confusion yeah. of the poem. Like there's a lot of repeated phrases. There's a lot of like the, the whole poem feels confused. And I think it's just like a really good um, poetic portrayal of that scenario. And the great thing about Ken Smith is like um, he managed to write from different perspectives as a poet without judgment, mm. really. He didn't make judgment on the victim. He didn't make judgment on the perpetrator. He sort of tried to see the human with, you know, within each side of the story. Yeah. And, and, and I, I just think he, th there's loads more of his work that's absolutely brilliant. That, that particular um, poem is from the collection Wormwood that again comes through Blood Axe books who we've spoken about before mm. on the show when I did the Barry McSweeney poem in the first yes. episode. So yeah, Blood Axe books will probably get featured quite a lot heavily on this show because they, you know, they're just a brilliant publisher of poetry. But yeah, I, I do encourage people, people to go out and check out his other work as well. I think that was the, the most similar um, dead poet that you've done that's been most similar to your work. I thought yeah. I, could, I, could, I could hear bits of you in that. that if, you, if you'd have read that and said that you'd just written that, I wouldn't have disbelieved you. Yeah, no, to be fair, Ken Smith's a huge influence on my work. Um, yeah, he's someone that has written a lot of poems that I wish I'd wrote, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, so, you know, similar to Barry McSweeney, again, you know, he's another poet that I wish I'd written a lot of his poems. So, yeah, I, uh, I take that as a compliment, Blake. Nice one. Yeah, if it, I'm, I'm, I'm glad about that, actually. If there's a bit of Ken Smith in me, then I'm happy to carry that sword without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, so I suppose now we'll move straight on to the interview with the legend... That is Stephen Battelle. I absolutely love this guy. I love his music. I love his lyrics. And I love how out there he is. He's a real character. And I think that comes across so well in this interview. So, yeah, 
listening to Stephen Battelle. So I'm here this morning, sat in front of my laptop as usual during this uh, lockdown. And I have with me who I know and I'm lucky enough to know is one of the hardest working musicians and songwriters in the whole damn world. And he's from Derby. His name is Stephen Battelle. Um, he's formerly of the band Lost Alone, if you've heard of them. Used to be in a band called Intentions of an Asteroid. Used to be in a band called Stumble. And I believe they might have even been in a band before that, but I've kind of forgotten the name now because we're going back a while. But um, yeah, um, it's an absolute honour to have him here this morning. Uh, say hello, Stephen. Hey, man, how's it going? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of kick things off because obviously predominantly what the, the podcast is about is speaking to people who make a living from words and language and, and, and the craft, the art of, of language in general. So explain to us a little bit about how you work. I mean, obviously I know already, but for the benefit of the audience, what you kind of get up to. Okay, cool. Yeah, so effectively, when, um, when Lost Alone kind of did our final shows like four years ago or something, um, I'd always been... The, since, since I was like very young, I, I was the songwriter, like myself and my best friend Mark. As you mentioned, we were in, I mean, at least 50 more bands before the ones you, you, just, you just mentioned. Um, only, I mean, some of them lasted, you know, eight minutes at, at uh, Woodland School in Alice Street, but, you know, there was um, Immortal, there was Rejection. Rejection was, was the because, one I was uh, thinking about. Yeah, yeah, Immortal. Yeah, Rejection was after a band member called Jed left and we were obviously rejected. So we, we renamed ourselves that, but um, yeah, anyway, so digressing a bit, but yeah, um, I don't know when songwriting just became like my thing because up until like when I was like in single digits, it was just goalkeeping and football and Peter Shilton just, I went, I got a gold award off him actually. Wow. Um, I know this is nothing to do with, Word, so feel free to edit, edit the football chat out. But. Sure, right. football is always <laughs> going to be a big part of the podcast with me, anyway. So, so well, yeah. So, so uh, Pete, I, I went. I, I was in uh, Alistair Juniors Football Club, and uh, I was the second goalkeeper because I'm not very tall. And me and the first goalkeeper were sent to Peter Shilton's like training camp, and I got <laughs> gold, and the number one got silver. Amazing. And I'm like, boom. But anyway. Um, Something happened for me like when I was really young, which was Freddie Mercury died. And something, I remember coming downstairs, I was obviously really young, and my mum was really upset, and she was like, Freddie Mercury's died. Something at that moment switched in me, and the songwriting just turned on. And from that day onwards, it was lyrics, songwriting, all I wanted to do. And definitely some kind of like blind belief that that is what I was going to do. Like, there wasn't any option it was just that I mean as you know we know each other since kind of only a little bit after that really hmm. um but yeah so um just just to not go into like too much detail because not everyone's got eight million hours for my entire life story <laughs> but um yeah did loads of bands and stuff honing my writing always just wanted to be you know Oasis happened and I was obsessed with the fact that Noel Gallagher was this genius like he joined Oasis and just went I'm writing the songs and I was like, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm a musical genius songwriter. So I was really like, obsessed with that for a bit. And, you know, so arrogant, like without intending to be, but just knowing that's what I, I do. And um, yeah, so like effectively just throughout all the bands, 
honing the writing skills and lyrics was always for me like so important um i don't i mean i honestly this is such a good podcast to think about this because i don't really know why that was so important to me other than i was obsessed and still am obsessed with queen and maybe some of their lyrics might be frivolous but there is a magical nature to a lot of their lyrics if you really delve in it's escapism you know a lot of people know like you know greatest hits record because it's the biggest selling album in the uk ever but you know you delve into their other stuff i mean i was into their more early albums which were like more magical and very wordy and very lyrical stuff that is never going to get on the radio because it's so out there so yeah i was i definitely i i think queen is probably one of the reasons i was so into lyrics then getting into bands like the Pixies and stuff who, you know, uh, his lyrics are just unbelievably obscure, but yeah. mean something. Like, I mean, like on first glance at his lyrics, you would think, it, or I did think when I was younger, you would think, oh, he's just putting words together that sound cool. But then when you actually delve into it more, you're actually like, no, he's actually a lyrical genius that is weaving together fantastical situations but that actually relate to if you're just walking down Kenniston Road you yeah. know um so yes yeah, so I had a lot of influence from like people like people like him and um even Derby Banzai's band called Cable back then that was yeah very, very influential on you yourself as well and yeah everybody but um yeah so anyway I'm definitely I'm sure you know this and feel free to jump in but I will go off on many tangents. I know this isn't even the question you asked me. The question you asked me is, what do I do? So what I do is, um, so yes, yeah, so, so when we put the bank card on hiatus, like final gig, I was like, I'm going to make solo records myself. But I was also like, right, it's time now. I've written songs on my own for my band all my life, but I've never co-written um, for other artists or um, just written songs intended for other stuff. So um, I immediately thought I can carve out a bit of a niche, my own kind of area, which is I've got all the evidence in the great reviews and, you know, it's kind of like hustling really, which I'm not great at, but I was like, hold on, I've got all these reviews that call me a musical genius and songwriting, whatever. This is how I can get into the pop world, really. Yeah. The world, you know, because effectively I, I see the songwriting for the pop world as my day job. And that allows me to then make my own prog, rock, mystical, you know, go out on a tangent. But um, yeah, so I, I just put my mind to, you know, kind of a couple of key points. Lyrically, I always wanted to make even the most pop music be wordy and really challenge people. And musically, just keep it, you know, real for my own, you know, don't... There's no point getting into this kind of world and trying to be what is already there. Yeah. I got a Stephen Battelle's version of pop, and yeah. that includes lyrics that are really thought about and mean something. I'm going to let you jump in because I'm sure you can probably ask a more relevant question than my rambles. No, it's fine. Like we, the, the thing about this podcast is we do like to keep it conversational, and I think it's at the end of the day, it's interesting for our listeners to hear exactly how you know how your journey into lyricism started yeah, and that's interesting because i've never asked you that before either i've yes, never actually asked yeah. you how it started and i never knew anything about the peter shilton story so obviously that you know this is all like a, a learning curve for me so but, um, just, 
to bring it back on track. So you mentioned your solo albums. Yeah. How many is it that you've done now? So I've done two full full length albums, um, and I've done like an EP and a couple of you know in, in the kind of world we live in now. It's it's you know I, I I'm I'm a guy who likes a full length record. I listen to a vinyl every morning. That's what I do. But yeah. in order to kind of be in the game nowadays, you need to release a lot of music. So I put out an album and then I started putting out just, I, I choose like 12 months in advance, like six or seven songs that I was going to go, these are going to be for like, not throw away because I believe in them, but these are going to be songs I'm going to keep putting out to effectively uh, service my own fan base. You know, right. I'm very lucky to, like, as you know, but maybe a lot of your listeners don't know, but I'm very lucky to have built up a really incredible worldwide kind of following of my band Lost Alone and then in turn they've stuck with me on my solo stuff and um, I often think that if it wasn't for that I'm somebody who probably wasn't, wouldn't have any social media but yeah. it's, it's primarily the way that I now keep in touch with people who want to hear my music so I chuck out a lot of songs so that they can just you know keep hearing what I'm doing at the same time I'm always working on a more overarching bigger record yeah as well as all the songwriting I'm doing for other people, which I'm sure will come on to. Yeah, yeah. So, so just just so our listeners know, give them the the titles of the albums. Yeah. So the solo records. There's one called Exit Brain Left. Yeah. And the more recent one, which came out just the end of last year, is called Midnight Between Months. Um, and since we're talking about lyrics, Midnight Between Months, I just like I got obsessed with that the best time to write the best songs would always come at midnight between two months. And, I, and this is the kind of level of ridiculousness you need to exist in, <laughs> if you me. I came into this like weird thing where I thought that it was a longer period of time when it was midnight between two months rather than just midnight. Yeah. And like, if you could access that, it was like a door to a parallel universe of creativity. Amazing. <laughs> so that's definitely like the kind of world I existed when you spend a lot of time just thinking I'm sure that probably sounds quite ridiculous to most people but that's where I seem to access my uh, ludicrous 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 ludicrousy I can't even say that word now you know what I mean <laughs> I know what you mean it's all good it's all good but no it's, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting that, that you should say that because I often get these um, crazy bouts of insane creative moments and 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 so, so for instance the novel that i'm working on myself i woke up at like four in the morning just risen from my bed and was like this yeah, is yeah. it i need this bit this is this is the missing ingredient from the novel and i had to rush downstairs and start making loads of notes and and all that kind of stuff so i could totally relate to that and i think it's interesting to hear that other people get that as well uh, it's it's a i assume it's just a uh a creative person's thing, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure other people have it in other ways. You know, my yeah. biggest thing I've ever done is to decide to always keep something recording because yeah. my best idea is hundred percent. I can be working on something all day, uh, like a song for somebody else. And then I, I now know to do it. I go in the shower and the second that water hits my head and I can't get back to write it down, the best idea ever happens. Yeah. So I have to film myself in the shower now, which is, there's a lot of footage. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of footage, but it, it's, um, 
it's the best way for me to be like not have to keep jumping out running through the house soaking i'm just like there's the idea sing it in the camera yeah cool yeah there's you know there's um yeah there's there's a lot of i think i have a song on there's a song called stick to your dreams not to your guns on my last album um and the lyric is found a discreet message on the shower door i need to write it down before they wipe it down and like that was me kind of always talking to myself about that like that that's a, a message to myself about make don't the, the never sit down to work on something without documenting it because the best idea is the first one and what will happen is you'll have the idea and then you'll go oh record that and then you'll press record and it won't be quite as good whether it's lyrically or whatever you won't quite do it the same way when it first appeared so yeah. i have to record the initial thing always yeah um, i get you so you don't yeah. have to press record so yeah. you're already recording yeah, anytime you press record, it sets a kind of benchmark of like, um, uh, what's the word? Like, it, it, it puts a little bit extra um, pressure on the thing you're doing. Yeah. And it would never be quite as good. Ah, I like that. So it's, it's this idea of making it as natural as possible. Completely, yeah. And I, what I've loved about my two solo records. Um, there's so many parts of it that are my original sketch that obviously have then been embellished and made big, but sitting in the room when you're actually in the studio and kind of going, that brilliant take we just did hasn't quite got the magic of that really random bit of noise from outside and that first magical moment. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's not the same. Yeah, so I think it's, and I think it's a lot easier nowadays with one of the few things that's good, you know, back in the seventies or eighties or whatever, you probably couldn't do this as well. But nowadays, you can probably take a really rough initial demo and make it, extract it, and make it into the great thing yeah. uh, without losing the magic. Whereas before, you'd have to go, well, it was recorded on a C ninety, that ain't gonna cut it on a yeah. on a finished record, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting to, to, to hear about that. Um, so I take it you're probably working on a third album at the minute, or knowing you, you've probably written it already and are, are actually working on a fourth. Yeah, so- <laughs> um, yeah I, I've got... Um, I think the way I work now, like in Lost Alone, what I would do is, because Lost Alone was all-encompassing for like nine years, it was everything I wrote was... For Lost Alone, there was nothing yeah. else. All I did was that. We had a record deal, I didn't have to worry about anything else. Whereas now I'm much more, you know, I'm a man who likes lists like yourself. I now actually have, in the daytime, I'll be working on a song that is for something or for somebody. Yeah. Um, but having said that, yeah, I, I can't turn off the tap of my own thing. I, I, yeah. The way I say it to like, the people who like my music is like, the, the three Lost Alone albums, my solo stuff is like, a continuation of that world that I built like yeah. and so I'm always building another part of that world so yeah. there's like a new album kind of skeleton in a kind of playlist that stuff's been added to and then there's like you know there's always a lost alone folder that I can't help sometimes write a song that is clearly for that band that obviously isn't doing anything at the moment but there's you know there's there's folders full of 
of stuff. But yeah, because it lost the low light, you know, we'd go in to make it a record with, and I remember some fans once said to me, they weren't quite sure I was, was I exaggerating, but I was like, we'll go in with a hundred songs. And then we would, you know, I mean, you saw our rehearsal room, we'd have them all written on a wall. Yeah. And then there'd be an A, B and C list. And then they'd all get into category, then it'd start getting whittled down before you'd end up with a producer and you'd end up with like 30. But uh, people didn't believe I'd always have 100, so I started showing people like yeah. literally. So yeah, the, the, one of my biggest like fears for after I've died is I want like all those songs that didn't make it, I just want to be able to leave a blueprint for someone to take them because I really hate the fact that there's so much music on my hard drives that probably will never come out. And I want to make sure that like, I always want like a, a legacy will that like somebody is ordered to like, <laughs> put them out. So, yeah. So, so yeah, so, so you're, you're basically always obviously working. I know, I, I know from obviously knowing you that you spend most days writing songs is, is basically kind of what, what you do I, I can't think of a day when I haven't like I mean and that's honest like yeah where you've not written something like yeah yeah it, it, I, I think like it's probably quite interesting for your listeners as well in that and especially because you're obviously poetry based like I don't write any songs initially with an instrument yeah it all is in my head first and that includes at least the sketch of the lyrics or at least where they're going I'm not yeah. proclaiming to have like an entire lyric formed when I do it, but the the overarching idea is there. And then, uh, not that anyone can see this, but I'm holding up for you. I have my moleskin notebooks, which I just yeah. love. There's such history in them with all the writers that use them back in the, you know, for centuries. Um, and I, you know, I just love writing lyrics all yeah. the time, and. Something I think is interesting, again, because we're talking about words, and I'll see what you think about this. I go to a lot of writing sessions, like co-writing sessions now for other people's music. It's important to say that on my own music, the only writer is only me, always. I never co-write on Lost Alone or my solo, but what I do as a day job is co-write for people. And people sometimes see me with my pen and my pad, and they're like, oh, you write, rather than type. Yeah. And my thing is, for lyrical people and poets if you do your work on a computer you can be deleting a line editing as you go yeah. now often i find stuff that you might not have thought was great in that moment if i can i can flick back to my book and i will see a line that might spark a whole new song it may not have worked there i may have thought it wasn't even good but it's the greatest line written that month yeah. And if you're somebody on a computer in a writing session, that as it's going, you're editing because everyone's sharing a shared writing thing and you're cutting it out, you could be losing some of the best ideas you've ever had. So I think it's really important as a lyric writer to write with a pen and have a document somewhere that you can flick through and actually go back rather than typing up things and deleting. Yeah, completely. I mean, I mean I'm very much of the same persuasion i tend to write my first drafts in a notebook and then they'll make it onto a computer of and, course. Then, and that's when the deletion takes place the editing takes place on the of computer course. and i'm fully on board with that once you like yeah 
it, it's all about the I mean every lyric of mine is digitized it's typed up when you're in the sessions you end up sharing it on a shared note yeah but it's those those drafts and those yeah. cool things and also just being someone who loves words I love grabbing my you know moleskin from four years ago and just looking and it's not a diary because I don't write a diary but it kind of is yeah. lyrically I can go wow that's exactly where my head and life was at yeah. in January because I date everything and you know, and, and I like in my notebook, I keep in the back uh, um, train tickets or, um, you know, museum or any, it's nice to look. So I like to think that like, you'll be able to look at that moleskin notebook and then take out the stuff I put in it at the back and go, okay, so he went to the Hollywood Hills Observatory yeah. And that's what that song maybe felt like that on that date. You know, I think it's yeah. quite a, it's quite, so it kind of is a diary in a weird way, but without yeah. writing, today I went to this. Yeah, you know? yeah. With it. It's just, it's just a diary, but not in a conventional sense. Exactly, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's, I think that's really, it's really interesting how you value that initial draft so much as well, because it's something that I really value. Like, like most of like most of my poems can be traced back to an initial draft in a, in a notebook, unless yeah. the, the rare time where I'm just something's come quick and I'm on the computer and it's just it's just done. Yeah, you know, most initial drafts will be there, and sometimes I look back through them, and they kind of make me laugh because I'm like, wow, that's changed so much. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to kind of. Um, I just like it. For, uh, my favourite thing is writing a song. And I get extremely depressed the second after it's finished. Yeah. Uh, because I'm so angry that I'm not writing a, a better one. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And, but what's really nice is to have those, those sparks of the ideas. To, I'm just, I mean, I'm flicking through as we're talking. It's just so good to go. And also to see how when people say, you know, oh, I wrote a song in five minutes or I wrote a song, this one took six months. I can literally see that because I can see where there's one page, an entire lyric, pretty much a couple of things scribbled out. And I know that was a quick song. And I can see yeah. songs yeah. where there's like 18 pages of almost the same thing, but rewritten out. Yeah. And I like to, when I'm writing lyrics, I always like the right-hand side of the page. The left-hand side always feels a bit too, I don't know, a bit too, not to go about Alan Partridge, but a little bit too petrally. No, do you know what I mean? Like the, the left-hand side of the page, for me, always feels quite rough and is where yeah. I'm chewing. And I always like the right-hand side because obviously you got the... It kind of flips around as you get to the end of the book because then that starts yeah. feeling more, more coarse because it's got less padding. Yeah. But I like to write the, the neater draft. You know, you can... I mean, no one else can see it, but you can see it there. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, like the... Um, yeah, so I don't know if that helps anyone creatively, but always write no, the one. I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting as well. And I, and I say this to people a lot in terms of when I'm holding writing work at workshops, that sometimes it's about finding that one line and that one line might not work in that particular poem or, or that piece of writing, but then it's something you'll come back to that then starts another piece. And I, and I just found that really interesting. How the same process works for you as a, as a musician and songwriter. Dude, completely. Sometimes. I'm sure this happens with you, a line that you really become attached to in a song, you will realise, or, or a poem, sorry, for you, 
you'll realize you know what that doesn't belong here but that is literally the next one i'm working on that's the title and that is that i'm already and then you have the problem which i've had to try and discipline when writing for other people is that line's already started setting something off for me musically on a different song and i've got to get that horse to steady on yeah yeah what i'm on yeah but i do think when you're a writer i mean i i've got right now on my you know I, i love lists i've literally got eight songs with like stars next to them of things to do, things to edit. In those songs, some of them are co-writes where I've started them with somebody else. Yeah. Some of them are like a song I heard the other day, I really believe in lyrically especially is um um you know it's like a love song for you know definitely not a, a Battel solo so it's for somebody else but the chorus is um this is a symphony but I'm playing all the parts. And yeah. it's about it's about you know it, it's about imagining things because I've no need to it's not my life but it's about putting yourself in the that, that's that's just going off on tangents again that's the difference with co-writing where everything I write for myself is about me in some way co-writing is about inhabiting a different character because it's for someone else yeah so um, this is a symphony but I play all the parts is inhabiting a world of uh, a relationship where the person doesn't want it to end but they've realised that they are you know, a, a relationship should be a symphony, a collaboration, yeah. but you're the person doing all everything. But yeah. how excited I was when I wrote that line, because I felt that was a fresh way to talk about that idea. Yeah. And I think and that's... Me. Yeah, and that's what's always struck me about your your songwriting, is that, that there's there's definitely a poetry to it. Like, you can tell that you really care about what you're saying and you care about saying it in a way that maybe we've not thought about saying it. And that's, that's kind of like what the art of poetry is, you know? So Yeah, that, that for me is my, whether I'm you know, good at it or not, that's the thing that makes me like, as much as like an amazing melodic idea, that gets me like seriously excited. And that has set me, like that's given me a reputation as well in the songwriting as the lyric guy, which I love. Yeah, like I love that. I'm not, I can be known as the he. You know, if you want some, if you want some lyrics that are, I love him. He loves her. You know, if you want something that says that, but in a way better way, go to Steve. I'm proud of that. You know, like yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So what 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 really interests me is like how how you kind of talked about this separate separation of a writing process. I suppose so you know, you'll have stuff that maybe goes in a Battelle folder. You'll have stuff that goes into a Lost Alone folder. You'll have stuff that goes into a folder for others. Like, how do you kind of, what inside you tells you that a particular piece that's come to you is for a particular folder? Like, like can you explain that process yeah, a little yeah. bit? Sure. So I suppose the most basic way to describe it really easily is the folder that is for other artists and other people is almost more like a job where I, that day I'm going, I'm going to write a song for this person. Yeah. And it specifically, it would never be what I would do for myself because it, yeah. I don't write like Mattel solo and lost alone can be, can be put in one category in a way, which is, yeah. I can be making a coffee 
and the whole song is playing in my head. And I know that's too crazy to be anyone else's song. <laughs> that's yeah, like, yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. And I will very quickly put that down. And if and what I've had to become disciplined on, I'll very quickly put it down in a rough form. But if that day, like today, is about doing something else, and uh, this is what I've really had to become disciplined on, I have to put that away until the thing I'm supposed to do is done. Yeah, yeah. Now, the compartments I, the, the compartments I have for other stuff is there's sitting down today, which I will do after we've spoken, and I'm going to write a song for a specific artist. That's kind of easy, really. And I, I don't know why I find it easy, but I can just go, well, there's the artist. Yeah. Let me listen to what they've done. And effectively, what you have to do is go, I'm going to write their songs better. Yeah. I'm not saying I always succeed, but you, you have to just go, okay, I, I, that song is really good. I'm going to write a better one in that world. Yeah. So I find it quite easy to strip it. And then obviously the other categories, which is really easy, is when you're actually in a room. We've not really talked about this, but this is a new thing for me in the last kind of four years. I've always written, even in the band, as, as you know, I write the songs and bring them into the room. Co-writing is something that has been the biggest challenge for me, which is meeting somebody. Like, like I'll give you an example. So in Nashville, I'm in a house. You know, think, I don't know if anyone knows what Nashville looks like, but think of, I don't know, think of um, Wizard of Oz. Like, I know that's Kansas, but I've been there as well. But think of those little white bungalow type, white wooden houses, yeah. all the same. So Nashville, there's lots of houses like that that look like residential houses. But if you peek through the windows, they've all got studios set up in them. So I'm in a house for three weeks. Every single day at 11 o'clock, somebody I've never met is going to walk through the door. And a few hours later, they've got to leave with like what you hope is a song that they really like and are going to go to their label and go, and the label, you know, we love it. And then it's going to get, recorded and released that is a new thing for me and it's crazy because a lot of the time you know the diff you know I've, and i'm so happy now but i was very nervous i've met so many people and my friends through doing this you know just like a 20 year old girl from miami comes in incredible songwriter and you have to have a chat about you know somebody from miami living in nashville and a guy from derby Flown over to Nashville. You just sort of, it is a different world. Yeah. And then you, but then you become friends through, through songwriting. And um, it was pretty intense. But so that's a, that's a different column because that is bringing something to the table. And if you imagine in a poetry world, imagine how hard it is to just sit opposite someone and go, because you have, you have to learn to not care about someone else going, don't like it. Like, yeah. Or you also have to be able to go, don't like that but them not to then walk out thinking we didn't like the idea. It's all about opening up to being, um, the, the way I like to do it is say, I know how good you are. That's not your best. Yeah. Instead of going, that's awful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, but it's such a different discipline. So that's another column. So I'll have songs like that on the go sometimes where it has started with somebody and then you've got, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll finish the lyric back at home. Yeah. Um, or they're going to do a vote, new vocal, and then you end up. So I have another column which is ongoing projects with other people. Yeah. Sometimes, like there's a couple of songs out by an artist called Jeffrey James, and that was written in the room, and they're released now, and they were written in the room, and I never heard it after. I just wrote the songs with him, 
and then next thing I'm getting told they're coming out. It's yeah. great. Such yeah, a new thanks. feeling for me, you know, Nashville artists releasing songs that I was wrote in the room and then never had another involvement with. It's so weird to give away your, you know, because you're so passionate about it for those five or six hours. Yeah. And then now they're out there and someone else is doing interviews talking about what it means. And you're just like, cool. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Amazing. So, yeah, yeah. So, I thought, yeah, obviously, I find that whole thing fascinating. And to me, it's kind of, it's almost as if you've had to get used to just receiving constructive feedback, constructive criticism. And, and that's something that I um, encourage writers to be able to take because there's a lot of writers who don't like that, that level of feedback. But I think it's like really important. Do you think that's sort of helped you to grow as a songwriter and an artist in general? C completely. I mean, going back to like the band, that would happen initially with Alan and Mark, my bandmates. They'd be the first people to hear the songs. Then when we signed to Warner Brothers, the guy who signed us, Craig Aronson, who unfortunately passed away, an incredible A&R guy, signed a lot of, you know, responsible for At The Driving, getting a major record. You know, let's, let's, just, let's just leave it there, you know. Yeah. Who also, one of the best lyricists, like, and um, wordsmiths ever to exist, the singer Definitely. of At The Driving. Definitely. I know, I know we're on the same page there. Definitely. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so firstly with my bandmates, that would be a, you know, not that I really let anybody <laughs> at that point, I was like, this is the song. But it was still like, you'd get the feedback. Luckily, it was always just like, it's great. But with, um, <laughs> with Craig Aronson, um, one of the best experiences of my life still was him A&Ring me, which was when we made that record for a month before we recorded, he would, uh, he was on LA time and I was on Derby time. And by the time he woke up every day, which was 5, 5 p.m. for us, he'd be like getting into the office. I'd send him a new demo that I'd done that day and he would absolutely enthusiastically tell me what was great and what needed improving to make it a real great song. And then he would go, tomorrow, why? And he would just say something like, what do you think about the police tomorrow? And just set a little, he'd just say like things and then he wouldn't go, he wouldn't go write a song like the police, but he'd just go, what do you think about We Are The Champions? And he just, and he, it was almost, I, I, I thrived on him because I knew what he was saying is, write a better song than We Are The Champions. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which wasn't going to happen. But um, it did push me to like really push myself. So, so that made me a better writer. And I, and I took that, you know, and then, and then this new experience of getting in the room with, I mean, in Nashville, and I think this would apply to yourself and poets out there. I don't know if there's an equivalent, but Nashville could even work as well due to the words of it. I've never been anywhere in my life where it felt like home more than Nashville. In Derby, even in London where I'm now, you're still in the minority when you meet some people and they say, what do you do? Oh, I'm a songwriter. In Nashville, you're in the minority if you aren't a songwriter. <laughs> it's the, yeah. the city's industry. Like, that's what the... So it's like, talk about coming home. Yeah. Like, the industry... And, and it isn't also like people think they're songwriters. Like, you'll be getting served a, a ridiculous, you know, oversized, American-sized 
comedy about food. And the really friendly waiter will say to you, oh, are you in town? What are you doing writing? You're like, yeah, yeah. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I write as well. Uh, ordinarily, you'd be like, oh, right, yeah, do you? And then, like, sort of mentioned, yeah, he, he wrote that song that sold a billion, you know, but he also just likes to help out here. Like, yes. everybody has got, like, a writing credit on a song. You know, like, the, it, is, it is the industry. So, and people love nowhere on the planet. Have I met people that love words more than Nashville? It's unlike anywhere else because in pop and in rock and in anything, lyrics can be obscure and they can be metaphorical. And they can be, quite frankly, they can be nonsensical, but the listener will figure it out. In Nashville, you need to walk into a room, put down a sheet of lyrics that from A to B to C to D, without any music, the artist or the A&R, whoever you put it in front of, can read it like a story. Yeah. And it's so, it's a totally different way of writing for me because that was never, my, my style is definitely more, you know, I don't know, just out there. But what I've enjoyed doing is bringing, bringing my style of words into that. Yeah. Um, do tell a story that yeah. is linear, yeah. but not just using simple words. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you can't always use simple words. That sounds weird, but as in, like, just not simple sentences. Does yeah. it have to be a simple sentence because it's got to be a story? Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah, Nashville's been one of the biggest influences on my, what I think is being a better writer for sure. Yeah, amazing. Um, obviously, just, I just wondered if you, if you could, if you wanted to talk about maybe, a few people you've worked with like, like that, that maybe have surprised you that you never expected to work with. Um, yeah. I'm always interested in that, in that side of it, you know, just because obviously I know you as someone who was in this mad prog, prog rock band, really, that obviously, yeah. you, you know, could still write catchy songs and still had a pop element, but really, you know, you, you, your stuff was like, you know, so, so out there at times. And then to imagine you working with, like these really straight up pop artists. I just find that yeah. really fascinating. Well, I think, I think the key thing is, and, and you kind of said it in what we previously just said, I've all, have, the craziest Lost Alone song, like I can't even think what it'd be, but you know what, like the most out there, I would still argue is melodically catchy. And like, I, I don't like music that isn't catchy. So yeah. even on like the most ridiculous 10 minute, you know, I still think it's a, there's always a sing-along element, um, melodically satisfied. So I've always loved catchy music. Like even in the, yeah. you know, you know, you know I, I love everything from pop to, to metal and everything. The metal bands I like are the ones that write catchy, I like the, the catchy songs. Like, yeah. you know, so I, I so, so honestly for me, the transition doesn't feel that, the actual writing element doesn't feel that different. The, the major element, like you say, is the more, the, um, the actual interaction has been the learning thing for me. To yeah. go from all being in my head and then the first time people really hear it outside the band is it released, to now have to learn to go back and forth with somebody else. Yeah. When I'm quite selfish in my head going, in my head, I might be going, well, I'm just, I'm just right. Like I, I'm the, I know how this goes. <laughs> yeah. And learning to, and honestly, learning because I've worked with some amazing people, learning to actually realize 
it's not that I'm wrong, it's that they've actually just had a better idea on top of my initial idea that makes that better. And that's where you can be a great writer. If you're a selfish writer, you ain't gonna get anywhere. And this goes to what we said about poetry, but if you're willing to let someone else go, I've sparked off that wicked idea you had and done this, and be able to go, you know what? That's made it better. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, so like just a couple of examples of, I mean, these aren't gonna be like names that people are gonna really know, I don't think, but just the most proud writing sessions I've done so far. There's a woman called Jodie Marr in Nashville, and she wrote, there's an article called Mika, and she basically wrote all of his first album with him. There's a, I mean, million, million selling single. Yeah. yeah. And so she, she's the writer on that, and I got to write with her, and she's a lovely kind of lady who, very unassuming, but like next level, like the, the level of songs that she's written, you know, she's like best mates with Desmond Child, who's like, if you research him, I mean, he, he co-wrote Living on a Prayer, enough said. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know I mean? sure. like, you know, like, deal, deal with that. If you've, if you've wrote Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi, <laughs> you, you, you've just got the eternal mic drop. Yeah. Like, yeah. any conversation you're ever in, all you have to say is, like, it could be anything, you just go, oh, yeah, I wrote Living on a Prayer, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't see like who's got a comeback on that. No, no one, no one. <laughs> like, that, that's the level you got to attain in everything, I think. Yeah, amazing. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, like per- personally for me, a couple of people I've written with recently that have been exciting for me. This is outside of the writing with artists. This is actually writing with other people for other people, which is another weird kind of world I've been involved in. So I got to write with a guy called Jonas, who back in Derby in the Bless in the early 2000s, myself and Mark from Oslo were playing pool. And we heard this song, and we were like, this is the best song we've ever heard. And we could never find out who it was, ever. And it influenced us so much. We didn't know who it was. We We were like, for years, and then we found out because we heard we've got into a band, and at the end of the first song or the first the first track on, a, on an album, the last three minutes of this song was the bit we heard, and it's nothing like the rest of it. It's a band from Denmark called Mew, M E W. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got so into that band, and we never knew that it was that song. You know, we're big fans, seen them loads. Well, I've now recently been to Copenhagen and lived with Jonas and wrote songs with him which is a bizarre turn of events. And we're now like friends and it's just insane. And he oh. likes my music. And I'm obviously made no, like, I didn't lie at all about going to you massively. Like, and he's just another great guy. We wrote a couple of cool songs we're gonna write again. And um, that for me is like, a, not a, um, not, not, I don't know. At the end of the day, what you're doing and what I'm doing in poetry and music, it, we are trying to have a career in it, but also personally for me as a, uh, a not a bucket list, because I never went, I want to write for, with Jonas from you. I just never thought it would be a situation I would be in. Yeah. yeah. And to write with someone who genuinely, I really love his band and have all his albums on vinyl and have yeah. been to see him play is crazy that I wrote with him. So, and, and, to, and to establish that relationship, you know, yeah. uh, as, as, 
friends rather than uh, just seeing somebody on stage. That's fantastic. So, yeah, really, that, that's something that massively excited me. Um, it's also the last time I will ever drink. And because <laughs> I, it, it was one of the most extreme experiences of my life, the, the day after, uh, to get to my plane, I had to get a, an underground in Copenhagen, which is very beautiful. It's a beautiful place. And the underground is next level. It's like being in like the future. It's very deep. And to come back up takes about 10 minutes of amazing futuristic escalators. I had to get off at every stop, come all the way back up to lie on a bench and be sick and then come back there. I couldn't handle I was so badly in trouble after a lot of whiskey. Um, it, it was a bad time. It was seriously bad. And I was just like, I've got, I can't get on a plane. I've got to book a hotel. I need to just ride this out here. And I was forced onto a plane and it, and I was, it was still when I was in Derby. And then I had to get off a plane and get a tra- I mean, it was literally, don't drink, guys. <laughs> don't drink. <laughs> anyway, so that was a bit of a tangent. But um, it was a Japanese whiskey that he got on tour out there that was opened at 2 a.m. to celebrate the friendship. Just did me in. Um, anyway, and then, yeah, I mean, um, so that's Jody, who was amazing, big, big songwriter and absolutely humble and lovely. We, we wrote in the studio where Bob Dylan made a couple of albums, who obviously is another insane lyrical genius and wordsmith. So yeah. that felt more magical. I think you find magic as well in the location. If something incredible has been made there with that level of history, you feel the weight of that on the thing you're about to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, Jonas was a thrill. And then also just, just on a real personal basis, I've been writing with my friend Ray for the band My Chemical Romance. We've been, I went to his house in LA and we wrote for a couple of days and then we've kept up the relationship remotely, which is really new thing in the last few years that you can do now, which is just like the way we're talking now. I can get somewhere with a song here and think, I never used to do this, but now I do. I'd be like, you know what? I think I've got as far as I can with this. I think part of it's brilliant. But why don't I send this to Ray? And yeah. just say, what would you do? And it's sharing the writing credit on a song that might be 90% finished. But if he writes a magical part where I was kind of done with it, it's a 50-50 split, in my opinion, because he's made it magic. Yeah. So um, that's been really fun for me, like the kind of transatlantic... Right with Ray, you know. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, mate, it's been it's been awesome to have you on. Um, oh, I enjoyed it. It's really talking good. to us, and it, and I think you know I think people are going to get a lot out of out of listening to it. Um, I'm I'm yeah I'm just going to basically ask what where people can find you on social media, what you're up to in the future, and then say goodbye basically. Sure. So social media wise. Um, you can find me on Twitter, which is my name, but with a G A, uh, my initial Stephen J Battelle, because some some psychopathic fan set up an account with my name and my photo and just ruined my life. Uh, but I'm verified with a blue tick, so it's, I've got a blue tick because how that means I'm extremely influential and important. <laughs> <laughs> um, on Instagram, I'm just my name, Stephen Battelle. Um, the best way, I guess, to find me like that, in case you find someone else who's pretending to be me, is look through 
your followers yeah uh, and uh, find me in there and then facebook same Stephen mattel um my music's on all the various you know there's a um you, I'm sure you can tweet the link out to, there's a Stephen Mattel discography, which is all my music and all Lost Alone's music in one playlist. Ah, if cool, you, cool. If you want to go in on 94 songs, it's Not about five cool. hours worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and I, I'm a quite a, you know, I'm doing a lot. Uh, I, I, I like talking on Twitter and stuff, so I'm always around, so people can feel free to hit me up if they want to. And um, yeah, I'm just obviously where we're talking right now, we're kind of in a weird position in the world where we're on lockdown. So I'm just writing in terms of stuff coming up. Uh, it's not much really because we're not really sure what's going on. There's, there's a lot of plans yeah. coming, but um, nothing I can really talk about at the moment because we're all in this weird kind of zone. Yeah, yeah, cool. Right, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for talking to us. And uh, yeah, well, you, you know, obviously I'll probably chat to you again sometime in the future when we when we come out of this weird zone definitely i'd love to it's really really fun man thanks a lot take care man cheers thanks so that was the interview i conducted with stephen battelle um i absolutely thoroughly enjoyed that interview i know stephen did as well um he messaged me straight after saying he really enjoyed that so i I think he just enjoyed the fact that we let him roll and let him do his own thing because he um he just has that about him. He's a, he's a real charismatic guy. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it. And I think it's really interesting for our listeners to take on different perspectives all the time, not necessarily just from the literature world, not necessarily just from the poetry world. And that's something that I'm going to continue to attempt to do with this podcast is to, obviously I'll still be interviewing poets. I'll still be interviewing writers, but also people of different disciplines. Cause I just want to bring that to the audience so, yeah, how did you enjoy that, Blake? All good, yeah? Yeah, I think that's the best one so far, isn't it? Are yeah, we getting good at <laughs> Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, so, so um, yeah, I suppose that we'll call it a day for now on this one. And uh, I want to thank you all again for listening in. Um, feel free to share the podcast. Feel free to tell your friends about it. We're going to be bringing more of these to you um, as and when we get the content and get and Mr. Blake gets the production done. He hasn't got any excuses though now, has he? No, no, he's, he's stuck inside, so he's going to be getting them done. <laughs> so yeah, say, good, say bye, Blake, again. Bye, Blake, again. Oh, Jesus. Here we go, man. You have to contend with this every episode. So yeah, this is us signing out. Thank you very much for listening. We've been Wordwise Podcast. Catch you soon, everyone. Try.